I think as an industry, we need to do a much better job across the board, whether it's electrical, plumbing, heating and air, concrete, etc. We got to get in front of these students and show them, you know, these pathways and these really life changing opportunities that are available. Whether you have the opportunity to go to college or not, it doesn't have to make or break you anymore like it used to. You know, you can be very successful. You can earn a six figure salary. You can, you know, do a lot of the things that that most people want to do and have that financial stability in this industry and beyond. So I think that's one of the great things about construction that really sets us apart from a lot of other industries. It's not about who you know, what kind of degree you got, who you related to. It's about your performance, what you do on a daily basis. Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now your host, Keith Williams. Welcome to the Skill Stadium Podcast, episode 105. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Keith Williams. Every week, we feature professionals in the skill trades, business owners, educators, people giving real-world advice. I have three requests. If you enjoyed the podcast and it brought you value, subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating, write a review, share one thing you learned or enjoyed on the podcast. Your support means the world to me, and thank you very much for tuning in. My guest today is from Atlanta. He works in construction recruiting and workforce development. My guest spent his summers working in various trades and was exposed to trades as a youth. With over 15 years of experience in his profession, he has mentored and helped apprentices and youths. He is proud of winning the SEFCA Top Employer Award. And during his free time, he enjoys spending time with his family and going jeeping. Please welcome Edward Para to the Skill Stadium Podcast. Edward, how are you today, this morning? Good, thank you. Good, good. Tell me about jeeping. What exactly is jeeping? That, that I'm very curious about that. Uh, well, you know, jeeps are, are pretty much like uh, grown-up toys. So it's, it's a great way to get away, enjoy nature, enjoy off-road trails, you know, see some things you don't normally see, spend some time with the family. So yeah, I very much enjoy that. I don't, my wife needs something from the grocery store. I'm like a 16 year old kid again. I'm the first to jump up and say, I'll, I'll go get it. <laughs> nice, nice. So jeeping is, if I understand correctly, I'm, I'm just trying to have a vision in my head, Ed. Is that somebody who's driving a Jeep off roads with the big tires and you're going on onto trails and you're going into wooded areas? Sure. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. Off-road trails, up mountains, climbing, and even just rolling through, you know, town or even the hills of, of North Georgia. It can it can be a good time with the family, having the top off on a nice weather day and, and just enjoying the outdoors. That sounds like a good time. Sounds like a good time. I had a feeling it had something to do with that. I was just a little curious. Sure. Tell me about the SEFCO Award. How did that all go down? How did you win it? What did you guys do in order to win that award? So we work closely with SEFCA that is now known as uh, Construction Ready. They merged in under one entity known as Construction Ready, but initially SEFCA was uh, the Construction Education Foundation of Georgia. And uh, they worked with industry and educators to basically bridge that, that gap. And uh, for years, we, we've been a strong supporter of SEFCA and Construction Ready. And, you know, we started working with them pretty much at the inception of the Construction Ready program, which was somewhat of an adult 
boot camp or pre-apprenticeship for people that were looking to transition or get into the skilled trade industry. So we started working with them. And, um, you know, early on in my career, it was very evident that there was going to be a big need to increase the pipeline of skilled labor. So we at Anning Johnson, we found that that was something we really needed to put a lot of focus into, not only recruiting, but also developing a workforce at warp speed because we were losing, we were really hemorrhaging our, our skilled trade professionals. You had the baby boomer generations leaving the trades. You had, you know, much less young people entering the industry. The construction programs in high schools and tech schools had been decimated with such a huge focus going towards, you know, the college bound students and, and really the trade programs just got pushed aside. And so we saw a big need to not only recruit more people, but also to help develop them and, and come up with a quick development process that made the training as effective and as efficient as possible. You know, years past, it was very common for the apprentice or the laborer, or the new guy to basically just be the grunt worker for a year, a year and a half and, and prove himself by doing a menial task or task that nobody else wanted to do and staying driven in that scope of work for a year, year and a half. And the fact of the matter is we're not in a situation where we could be that patient anymore. We need to take high potential people and we need to expedite that training and utilize them to their fullest potential as quick as possible because we don't have the luxury of having, you know, just a, a huge influx of skilled labor out there. So everyone on the job site needs to be able to produce as much as possible at many different levels. So with that being said, we developed a, a our apprenticeship program, our in-house training program. We cut our typical apprenticeship from a four-year program into a two-year program. And we realized that we had to have a much more hands-on approach. We needed every bit of our leadership team involved. We needed everyone to have stake in the game from the superintendents to the leadmen to the foreman to the mentor. And, and it also had to be a value to our leaders in, in the company nationwide. So from our CEO to our district managers, this really had to become a main agenda, a main priority to make it as effective as possible. We started to evaluate on our apprentices really on a weekly basis initially. So instead of waiting six months to tell an apprentice, hey, here's what you've been doing wrong, we were doing that on a weekly basis and then helping and coaching them and coordinating the training that they need to improve in certain areas while also acknowledging the areas that they were doing well in. You know, I think this generation is much more conscious and much more in tune with getting feedback. It's kind of like on Facebook, you know, everybody wants their likes. So just like that, you got to be able to tell these kids, hey, you're doing a good job. We recognize it. We appreciate it. And you also have to have a step-by-step -step roadmap, so to speak, for these kids to see, hey, these are the levels, these are the steps that I need to take to level up, you know? And that's a big thing for young people yeah, I also think if I could just jump in for a second, I think the fact that you have leadership that understands youth, because one of the things I noticed about just kind of researching you, you, you care about young people. That's definitely a feeling I got from you. So it seems like your ability to understand them has helped you adapt to how you train and prepare them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you really got to have a good understanding of what's important to the workforce and, and really find ways to tap into those those things that they're looking for. Otherwise, you're going to get left behind. They're going to look for what's important to them somewhere else. And I think that's what we've seen over the past few years. Many young people have turned to a lot of different career paths. The skilled trades have been kind of set aside. We're seeing a change. We're seeing a definitely uh, that move in a better direction with the skilled trades programs coming back into high schools, coming back into tech schools, and really companies and employers and industry going in and and utilizing technology and things that attract young people back into the trades 
And then also showing them, hey, there is a step-by-step -step process. Here, here's a roadmap that can help you not only you know, earn more, but really build a successful career that you can enjoy. And I think that's the most important part. You know, I always tell students in high schools or tech schools that I'm speaking to, I'm not here to try to sell you on a career in drywall or carpentry. I'm not here to try to sell you on doing construction. My goal is to really show you an avenue, a resource where you could build a future and you have the option to choose because I'm a firm believer that, you know, loving what you do is everything. Perspective drives performance. If you don't have a good perspective of what you don't enjoy doing what you're doing, it's going to show in the work. And the opposite is also true. If you love what you do, you're probably going to be a lot more successful at it. Definitely. Now, what are you seeing out there? That, you know, so you're out there talking to the students. Are you seeing more students taking up an interest in coming into the trades? You know, or is it still a very small percentage? If you if you could look at the overall big picture as you go into a school, what does that look like in terms of students who are putting their hands up and saying, "Hey, I'm on board," because we know there's some stigmas for the skilled trades, and I'm just wondering what trends you're seeing because I mean, this is what you do, so I'm sure you have a pretty strong perspective on this. That's a great question. So, you know, if you listen to the majority of adults, they'll tell the tell you that most young people are afraid of hard work nowadays. And, you know, that's true to an extent, but I would say that there is still a vast majority of young people that love to work hard. They don't mind breaking a sweat. They like putting things together. They're still very much mechanically inclined. They like working with teams. They like working outdoors. They like building things. And, you know, a lot of times these kids, yeah, they do gravitate towards other industries and other career paths. But I think it's just the lack of exposure. You know, these kids are, again, they're not, many of them did not grow up having these shop programs, these construction programs in their schools. You're seeing a lot of that come back. You're seeing the, the whole DIY movement on television. That's helping to definitely gain some traction and, and have these kids start turning their wheels. Hey, let me try this at home or let me do that. And I, I really see the light bulb go off when we go into the classroom in front of these students with real materials, real tools, real equipment, and help them build small modular projects. And the light bulb goes off, their eyes open up. You know, we literally, the teachers and I literally have to pull them off of these projects sometimes because the nice. bell's about to ring and it's time to clean up. <laughs> so they, they don't yeah. want to quit, you know. Now, it's not all of them, but yeah, there is still a lot of young people that really love doing this. They've really just had a lack of exposure. And I think as an industry, we need to do a much better job across the board, whether it's electrical, plumbing, heating and air, concrete, et cetera. We got to get in front of these students and show them, you know, these pathways and these really life-changing opportunities that are available. Whether you have the opportunity to go to college or not, it doesn't have to make or break you anymore like it used to. You know, you can be very successful. You can earn a six-figure salary. You can, you know, do a lot of the things that, that most people want to do and have that financial stability in this industry and beyond. So I think that's one of the great things about construction that really sets us apart from a lot of other industries. It's not about who you know, what kind of degree you got, who you related to. It's about your performance, what you do on a daily basis. So I think that's a big attraction to a lot of young people. Yeah, I'd also say that once they start realizing 
the income they can earn, I think that's a game changer. And the fact that it takes less time because you need people, they're not having to take four years. I heard you say sometimes you're getting people ramped up, you know, two-year programs. Sometimes you're getting them ramped up in less than two years. So that's a big deal. You know, like you're if you're 18, you're 20 years old, two years down the road, now you're making some good money. And if you're an apprentice, you're already making money as you're doing the work because you get paid to learn. You know, and there are not a lot of professions that do that. And what a lot of people don't realize, and I've interviewed people in construction, is construction has a wide variety of jobs. Project management, not every construction job is outside. You know, yes, there are jobs that are in construction that are outside, but not everyone is outside. So you do have some different options if you have different interests. But I could also see how your young people are excited about getting up and moving around. Who wants to, I know when I was young, I couldn't sit still in a classroom. That's just me. You know, I'm sure I wasn't the only one, but you know, a lot of young people want to move. They want to do something different. They don't want to just sit there and do the same thing. You know, so I think what you're doing appeals to, to, there's a group of people that that's really going to appeal to. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And and that kind of makes me think about a, a recent situation and, and some benefits to these students. We we hired two individuals from a local university, Kennesaw State University, while they were pursuing a degree in construction management. And instead of them going and working at Starbucks or Target, you know, in for a company or an organization that has nothing to do with the career path they're seeking, they decided to go ahead and get their foot in the door with us and start gaining some hands-on field experience while also probably earning a good bit more than they would have earned at these other areas that that most college students end up pursuing, you know, part-time gigs. So it was really a win-win for them because not only were they earning more than they would have in some of these typical college student jobs, but they were also learning part of the skilled trades that they may not ever see in the classroom, even after they get their degree, you know, and they also got their foot in the door, started to build a relationship with us. One of them ended up being hired on. Both of them graduated from KSU last year with a degree in construction management. Uh, One of them was hired on as a project manager. The other was hired on as a foreman. And he's literally went through our carpentry apprenticeship and he's on a fast track training program to grow into upper management. So again, it was a win-win for them uh, because they were able to see the benefit in earning, you know, good income while they're in school and then also still pursuing that college degree. So again, whether you want to pursue a degree or not, this is definitely a great pathway to think about because you can earn good money while you're in college and then you can come out with that degree and really have that double-edged sword or that double threat that many in the industry don't have. Usually we see project managers coming into the into the career paths with just the degree under their belt, but no hands-on experience. So to be able to get that insight definitely is a big uh, advantage to those young people. Yeah, and that's a big deal for project management because there's no substitute for experience and then knowing your industry, that's a game changer. So, and you know what? Project management, the best thing about project management is it's a type of gig that you could freelance on. It's a type of thing that you'll always, there'll always be work for you to do. I always say if you can get a skill set that allows you to make a living when a traditional nine to five job is not available, because let's face it, there's no job that's guaranteed. You, you know, you don't start a job and they give you a contract that says, hey, you have this job until you retire. No matter how good the industry is, things can happen. But if you have a skill set, whether it's fixing cars, carpentry, project management, somebody will always pay you to do some of these things. Somebody, every, a lot of people have cars, a lot of people have homes. Someone will always pay you. Look at plumbing. Everybody has plumbing. Someone will 
always pay you to fix their plumbing. Somebody's plumbing is always going out. So, and I'm not taking away from construction. I'm just using skill trades as a, you know, as a, as a general example. But you know, these are things that are always going to have opportunities. And I always look at the investment. You know, and and I also believe companies like yours. I'm pretty certain. Do you guys pay? tuition and reimbursement? Do you pay to, you know, people who are wanting to go back and study or get additional skill sets with your company? So we don't have an actual structured program like that, but, you know, it's really a case-by-case scenario. I think, you know, for certain individuals, if they found themselves in need and we saw the potential in those individuals, that's one thing that I think really sets Annie & Johnson apart from many companies and something that's made us successful for over 80 years in the industry is we don't confine ourselves to, to just thinking inside of a certain box and following certain parameters. We have an ability to be flexible and adjust based on the market needs and, and what's important to us. And I've seen the company do tremendous things for certain individuals that that had a specific need in their life. So I wouldn't say that we'd be opposed to that at all, but it would be a case by case scenario. The great thing about, you know, the day and age we're living in is there are really so many resources for young people to pursue a higher education if they're interested in, you know, different scholarships, programs, returning to school, even adults that are going back to school. You know, you got the Hope Scholarship Program in Georgia, and then also having the ability to earn a good income. You know, KSU and I think Georgia State right now have phenomenal construction programs where they actually do all their entire construction management program is available in the evenings or online. So that allows these young people to go work full time for companies like us, gain that real life hands on experience while they're pursuing a full college degree, you know, college degree in four years. Well, that's a game changer. That's definitely positive. And I think if there's ever a time to be able to balance those two things, it's when you're young and you don't have a ton of commitments in your life. So uh, perfect time to, you know, it's doable. I've, I've worked and gone to school. Not easy, but. It's doable if, if it's important to you. And I also think, like I said, because there's a skills gap, you know, companies like yourselves, they're going to do whatever they can to retain their talent. And, you know, I think that the way the industry is, is you do have to keep your skill sets up. It's not enough to just, okay, I've got this skill set. I'm good. No, the industry is changing. You've got to continue learning. And like you said, you can learn online. You could jump on YouTube channels. There's also things like professional associations, continuing education. So there's a lot of things where people can continue to hone those skills to be competitive. You know, when you were growing up, and I meant to ask you this because you said you, you know, you explored trades when you were in the summers. What did you want to become when you were in high school? Go back and think. And how did that kind of, how did that decision make you lead to where you are now? So that's a great question. And I'll be honest with you. I really had no idea what my future was going to look like. I never did really well in school growing up. I was one of those kids, like you said, I could not sit still. And it's funny, I actually heard a study that was done recently, and specifically men. Men learn at a much higher rate when some type of movement or mobility is involved. We Men do, specific, you know, in comparison to women, which is kind of strange, you know, but we're wired differently. We're much more mechanically inclined. And, uh, and that study showed that, and that was very much my case. You know, when I had to sit behind a desk all day and just listen to someone talk, it just literally went in one ear and out the other. But when we got to do projects, whether it was science projects, you know, history projects, construction projects, et cetera, I was all in. So I traditionally didn't do well in school and, uh, and it cost me a lot. You know, I ended up going down the wrong path as a, as an early adolescent. I grew up in a lower income community. You know, I grew up in a house where sometimes the 
Water was cut off. The power was cut off. My parents worked two, three jobs. I was born in Columbia, South America. My parents moved here when I was very young, and they really had to do everything they could to keep the lights on, and sometimes that wasn't enough. So seeing them struggle definitely made me want to strive for more, but I didn't have a path in front of me. I didn't have options in front of me. And uh, I grew up in a neighborhood where that cost many of my friends their lives. You know, I lost a lot of close friends that I grew up with early on to, you know, this, the flaws of society, whether it was drug abuse, you know, gangs, drugs, suicide. So, you know, that was definitely an eye opener. And I, I knew I wanted more for my life and I knew I didn't want to struggle the way my parents did. And I didn't want to go down the path some of my friends did. So luckily I was, I was fortunate to to basically take advantage of different opportunities. Right out of high school, I actually got into the banking industry. A friend of mine's mother worked there and she said, you know, I think you'd be a great fit. Come to work with us. And it was a great opportunity because they really invested a lot of, into their employees. You know, you mentioned something earlier. You said retention. We're very focused in recruiting right now, but you don't hear retention as much. And without retention, recruiting's out the window. So we need to do a lot as employers to not only recruit, but also to retain. And we got to be conscious of, of the industry, the market that we're in, the young people, the mentalities, the cultures, what's important to these people and how you retain them. And you really got to have a, a hand on that to, to be able to make that happen. But uh, anyway, I went into the banking industry for a little while. I went back to school. I actually went to college. I had to pay for it for myself. And I actually got wow. straight A's in college. <laughs> so nice. all the way through school, uh, once I had to pay when for it. When you were it, paying for it, you were pay- You know what? You get focused when you're paying. When it's right. your money. That's right. Uh, so I did great there. And then uh, eventually a good friend of mine that had started working here right out of high school uh, and, and became very successful early on. He became a superintendent at 24 years old after starting as a laborer at 19. But he really did everything he could uh, to improve and to, to master his skills and to learn everything he could about the industry. And today he's one of our top leaders. But he approached me one day and he said, Edwin, you know, there's this opportunity and I think you'd be a great fit for it. And I said, man, I've never done anything like that in, your, in my life which was specifically recruiting and workforce development. He goes, I know, but I know you, and trust me, you'll do well at this. And that was back in 2007. So there was something he saw that that was right, and I definitely appreciate it. But, you know, that's a big reason of why I do what I do today, because I grew up around a lot of young people that were extremely talented, had a lot of potential, but there was just no resources, no options, no avenues in front of them to get out of the situation that we were in. And the fact that somebody took a chance on me and really just gave me an opportunity to change my life, I feel I have an an immense responsibility to turn around and give it to that next generation. So that's why I go into these schools. I go into a lot of the schools that nobody else wants to go into. (laughs) I actually went back to my formal high school, which is a Title I high school and uh, lower income high school. You know, it's at the time one of the worst schools in terms of graduation rates, crime, violence and things like that. But I helped go back there and and help boost their construction program. I actually, uh, through Construction Ready and SEFCA, was invited to D.C. to an event called Skills on the Hill, where we really went and advocated for funding in the trade programs, such as career academies and and construction programs in high school. And lo and behold, some of those funds ended up coming to my former high school. And now we have the, uh, the, um, it's called CETA. College, uh, Career Innovations Technology Academy, uh, and it's one of the top trade programs in, in the county at this time. So yeah, it's been a great, great run. Uh, I enjoy what I do. Uh, but again, it was because 
someone took a chance on me and those opportunities were put in front of me. So we have to do a great job of that. We got to look, we got to turn every stone. You know, you may find a diamond in the rough, but you got to be willing to, to look. And, you know, for a long time, we haven't looked in those areas. Those areas have been overlooked. And what I've seen is that a lot of times the most overlooked people are the hungriest people. And yes. when you give those individuals those opportunities, you're really surprised at the success that you can see. Uh, Warren Buffett, I think, put it best. He said, you know, we're playing the game with half of our best talent on the sideline. So we need to take a second look at who's on our sidelines and be open into giving these people an opportunity. Because like I said, sometimes those overlooked people are the ones that, that can really take you to a new level. But it takes folks like yourself who just have more of an open mind. Because you see what happens is you have people who've like, well, we've always done it that way. You know, just status quo. People are risk averse. They avoid what they don't understand. They fear what they don't understand. And so this has always worked. So we always go down here. And like you said, these folks are hungry, you know, and I've seen it where kids who have more, just they take it for granted. I hate the stereotype, but yeah, it's a fact, right? Like, um, you know, I'm in the suburbs and we, I'll give you a quick, quick story. We have a local gym where they hire young people to open the gym early in the morning. It's usually kids who live in the community. They're suburban kids. If they don't show up for work, they're going to still have food. They're still going to have shelter. They're still going to have their cell phones. So yeah, a lot of them just don't show up for work. Why? They're not hungry. But when they hire somebody who's a working person, whose rent and food depends on them showing up to work, they're at that job every day. <laughs> and so it's exactly what you said. These young folks who are in underserved communities, nobody's looking out for them. Nobody's coming into those communities. So when they see that opportunity, they're jumping on it. They're hungry, you know, and it just takes more leaders, you know, more leaders to really get that and understand it because that doesn't happen without somebody saying, okay, we're a go, let's go. Somebody at a certain level in your company or any other company has to be able to say, hey, you know what? There's an opportunity here. Let's go. Yeah. And it's a win-win for society. You know, not only are, are, do the companies gain by getting, you know, eager, you know, young people with initiative and, and, and that, that want to advance, but also you're helping the community. You know, you're taking someone out of poverty. Uh, you're really creating a ripple effect that some of us will never really see the end result. You know, there was a young man we hired a few years ago. He had, uh, he had spent eight years in prison. And while he was in prison, he turned his life around. And I remember him telling me, he said, you know, I was mad at the world my whole life. My mother committed suicide in front of me when I was seven years old. My father was a drug dealer, a drug addict. So I followed that path and I blamed everybody else for the way my life was. And I ended up in prison for eight years. And it was there that I realized, regardless of what happened to me, I was responsible for putting myself here. And I was the only thing that could get myself out. He came out, he went through our apprenticeship, went into our lead training. Within five years, he was a foreman. Changed his life. He got married, bought a house, had two children. He bought a house on a golf course. He ended up selling that house a few years later, making a you know a good a good bit of money on that, and ended up moving to South Georgia. And now he lives on you know some land and taking care of the kids and able to still work in the industry. So he turned his life around, and and he was a major asset to us throughout the time that he was with us. So again, it was a win win for everybody. And, you know, we have to look at this. We got to look at the big picture. Yes. You know, what we look at as a challenge, which is the, the skilled gap, the skilled trades gap and, and the shortage of workers is also a major opportunity. We have an opportunity to go into our communities, create opportunities for people 
that, that have often been overlooked, create opportunities that people have may, maybe have never taken a look at construction and all of a sudden, hey, this is what they love to do. And so you have an opportunity to bring in an entirely new culture, an entirely new population to really change the entire ecosystem of the industry. And I think it's something that needs to be done. You know, if you go through certain fast food restaurants, uh, when you pull up through the drive-thru, they just say, you know, five ninety nine, and expect you to give you your money. You go to Chick-fil-A, it's another ball game. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah. You go to oh, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole other level of service. Yeah. Right. And, and, I, and I really <laughs> like to say- that culture. You know, exactly. You know, and I think, I think there's, I say we need to be the Chick-fil-A of the construction industry. You know, we need to raise the bar. We need to raise the standard of the industry. And for a long time, the standards in construction were so low, which really helped repel a lot of high potential, intelligent, you know, talented individuals because they didn't want to be around that. You know, so so there's a whole dynamic that the industry needs to really evaluate and really start to strategize of how we move this thing forward. Because as much as a challenge as this is, it's a major opportunity for a vast improvement to raise the standard across the board of our industry. Mm -hmm. I also think the fact that there's a lot of older people in the industry, the good companies that get it are going to jump on it and they're going to win. So there there are people, you know, the quick adapters, the people who who see the opportunity and jump on it, they're going to benefit. But what will happen is the other companies will fall behind. Right. They, they won't they don't have that open mind to go into those areas. It's like buying real estate in, you know, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Atlanta, but they had areas that were being gentrified, like down by Turner Field. Like I've roamed around the city of Atlanta. I, I wasn't always in the suburbs, but those areas that were a little challenging, you know, they were sketchy a little bit. They had projects, but now they're cleaned up. They're worth a lot more money. Oh, a lot more. Yeah. But you had to have the foresight to see that, hey, this is going to be good. Because a lot of people are like, nah, we're going to stick in the suburbs. Those house values shot up probably a lot more than, say, that. And it's the same thing with people. It's the people in those communities that if you invest in who are hungry will outperform you know, the people that you normally regularly hire who you've just, who you've always given opportunities to. These folks are hungry over here, like you said. And so the companies that jump on that, and also when you have diversity, you have different thoughts, different opinions, you're getting different perspectives. So as a business, you're going to do, it's proven, the numbers have proven it. Companies that are more diverse perform better than ones that are not, because you're getting different perspectives. If you hire everybody who thinks the same as you and just all the same, there's no different perspective. There's nothing that says, well, we can do something a little different here. You know, you don't excel as well. You don't do as well. So I love that train of thought of what you're doing. Hey, tell me about the carpentry boot camp. I know you would, that was something you're looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. We actually just put on the first one this summer uh, and it was, a, it was a major success. So basically you have in high schools now, you have a couple things. You have what's called the work-based learning program where students can literally leave high school their junior, senior year at midday and go work in some type of career path and earn income while they also earn school credits. So let's say I want to work in construction. I can go work for a construction company half the day and I'm earning high school credits to go to work as well. Then you also have the dual enrollment program where students can take college classes while they're in high school and earn college credits and high school credits at the same time. So we kind of looked at that and we said, okay, you know, we have a challenge. 
because in the construction industry, number one, we can't have somebody get to the job site at noon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Half the day is going. Work. You know, we start really early. Yeah, we start 5, 6 a.m. So you get there at noon, it's like, all right, you can help wrap up, you know? So it wasn't really going to be an engagement, gauging process, and, and not much could be taken from that. So, And then the other challenge we have is many of our general contractors, their insurance policies or their company policies do not allow individuals under the 18, age of 18 to be on their projects. And understandably so. These are high-rise projects. You know, you have a thousand different tradesmen and women. You have iron swinging, concrete moving, heavy machinery, holes in the ground. You know, this could be a major hazard for young people that have never been on a job site. So we had to say, okay, we, there, there is this opportunity. The schools are, are, you know, created these programs. How can we incorporate this into our industry? Because other industries are doing it. You know, not necessarily the construction industry, but other industries are doing it. You know, the professional pathways like, you know, banking and different things like that, restaurants, et cetera. A lot of different industries were, were formulating plans for this to work. So we had to look at that and we said, OK, we can't put them on a job site, but we do have the Atlanta Carpenters Training Center. So how about we send these students to the training center? They're not going to get paid, but they will learn a skilled trade. So they're getting paid by investing in themselves. And at the same time, they're earning credits towards their journeyman certification. So I look at the journeyman certifications like the college diploma of the skilled tradesman. You know what I mean? It certifies that you're a professional at a certain level and you have to be paid a set scale depending on the area of the country you're in. Just like a plastic surgeon. <laughs> a plastic surgeon gets a degree or a heart surgeon gets a degree. He's going to make a certain amount in Atlanta, Georgia. He'll make a certain amount in Beverly Hills. You know what I mean? And uh, because he has that degree. So the journeyman certification pretty much falls in that same category. And it solidifies that that individual is a professional. And it allows these high school students to start earning credits towards that journeyman certification while they're in high school. So essentially, they can get their journeyman certification, you know, at 20 or 22, as opposed to the tr traditional route of 24, 30 years old. You know what I mean? And they're also developing that relationship with other union contractors like us. So they're getting the foot in the door with us. They're getting real life hands-on training in a real training facility with real materials, real tools, real equipment. And then, so we did that this summer. We had one junior, the rest were seniors that graduated this year, and they were able to, every one of those individuals ended up being hired full-time. We ended up hiring three, some of the other union contractors hired the others, and then the junior went back to high school. He's going back to high school, and but he's going back with a summer of that boot camp, those credentials going towards his journeyman certification. So not only is he earning those credits and learning those skills, but when he does hit the workforce next summer... He's automatically going to make two, three dollars more an hour than a regular high school student that hadn't been through this program. So he's already worth it. He's got his OSHA 30. He's got skills training, you know, not just one summer boot camp, but he's going to do another summer next year. He's also in a trade program at his local high school. So, yeah, it was definitely a win win for all of us, for the school systems, for the students. Anning Johnson ended up sponsoring these students. We couldn't pay them because they weren't employed. They were just going to this school. So what we found is, hey, we can, we can sponsor them. So we gave them gift cards every week at the end of the week, and it helped them with their transportation expenses. Nice. You see, I love that. That's creative. That's being creative and being smart and looking at. It's not always the money that young people need, you know, that getting that training and education and getting closer to that carpentry certification, that's going to put money in their pocket sooner. So it's just 
understanding the big picture. Yep. And I'll say this. able to communicate uh, that big picture with them. Yep. Four or five of these students came from underserved communities, Title I high schools. One of them came from a school that's about an hour and a half outside of Atlanta and the training centers in Atlanta. The other came out from uh, Rockdale County. How did that, how did they get there? How did that individual get there? Because obviously that's a challenge. Yep. Yep. He drove. He drove. Wow. He had his driver's okay. license. We helped him with the gift card. So that helped him get his transportation costs down. But another thing we're looking at, you know, if you turn on the news, you know, I saw something yesterday where one of the kids selling water in Atlanta broke the eye socket of a police officer. You know, we're taking these kids off the street in the summertime. And instead of getting into trouble and ruining their lives like that young man did, they're building the rest of their lives. They're building their futures. So another win-win, not only for the industry, not only for the student, but for the community overall. Again, I think every challenge we look at in our society, there's an opportunity hidden within it. And that's really how we have to, the type of approach we have to have. Speaking of opportunities, Ed, can you tell us about some resources that people interested in carpentry or construction can check out, whether it's a website, a professional association, a group, just if you could share some? Sure. So, you know, one of the major organizations that's really been a huge asset to, to Anning Johnson, to the industry, to the community as a whole, I really can't say enough about these these people, is the uh, Construction Ready organization. And you can check them out on uh, constructionready.org. They were formerly known as SEFCA, Construction Education Foundation of Georgia. They've uh, merged under that one umbrella of Construction Ready, and they work re- very closely with all your local trade school programs from all the way down to elementary school, elementary school, middle school, high school, tech schools, colleges, and they do a good job of bringing the awareness of the opportunities in construction to students across the board. And then they also work with adults, adults that are looking to join the industry, adults that are that are re-entering the community from maybe, you know, prison, made, made bad decisions and want to turn their life around. They work very closely with those organizations. You know, a big thank you to uh, the Arthur Blank Foundation, the Sydney Marcus Foundation. They are strong supporters of the Construction Ready program, and they really couldn't do what they do without them. Home Depot as well. They go across the entire state of Georgia putting together similar boot camps like what we put on, but it's more soft skills training and safety training as opposed to specific skills training. But you go, you can go to this program. You can sign up. It's totally free for yourself. Uh, they put it on all year round, all across the state of Georgia. It's a four-week program where you go earn a variety of credentials that are recognized in the industry. I'll say this, people that go in and get these credentials, in four weeks, they're getting credentials that some people in the industry that have been in the industry for over 15 years don't have. So these young people go in there and get credentials, real licenses and certifications that some people that have been in the industry for 15 years haven't gotten. So it increases your it's value. It's not costing to them anything. Not yeah, costing them anything. Not costing nope. them anything. Nope. Yeah. And they actually come out with gear. They get tools. They go through a hiring fair at the end of that process where a variety of industry leaders like Anning Johnson come in. We interview those individuals. And then they have a graduation ceremony the next day where one person may have multiple job offers. He, he, now that he or she has to pick which one of these do I want to go to. <laughs> so it's really a phenomenal opportunity. Also, your local trade unions, you know, you got the Atlanta Painters Union, you got the Atlanta Carpenters Union, you got Millworks Union, you got uh, highway operations, you know, uh, unions, different trade organizations like that. Construction Ready, though, I, I really can't say enough about them. They've done an awesome job. We've hired over 60 individuals out of that program over the last nine years, all of which were totally entry level. Uh, and I will say this, 
In construction, 70% of the accidents that happen on job sites occur with individuals that have been with a company for less than six months or new to the trade. Okay. So I just told you we hired over 60 people, entry-level people from this organization. And over nine years, the over 60 people that we've hired, none have ever been involved in a recordable injury. So they just took our highest risk factor of injuries and eliminated it. And that's why we continue to go back. The individual that I was telling you about earlier that, you know, spent some time in prison, turned his life around. When he got out, he actually went to that organization. He put in the work, showed up there every day, five days a week, 40 hours a week, not getting paid, investing in himself and took advantage of that program. No, that's wonderful. I got to ask, how do we get past this bias that people have of people who've been incarcerated? Because we know there's discrimination. I know for a fact. I mean, that's why that story jumps out to me because it's unfortunate as a society, we do judge people based on that. And how do we fix that? And, and is that maybe just your company is, is maybe an exception? Or what are you seeing in the industry? Like, are, are you seeing a lot of challenges with that? Or is the market perhaps changing because we have a shortage of people in the trades and they're more willing to take a chance on people who've been to prison? I think there's a little bit of both. I think there are more companies that are a little bit more flexible and open nowadays uh, as opposed to, you know, historically. There was actually a documentary that was uh, put together by Governor Deal's office, the former governor of, of the state of Georgia. It was called Released, When Does the Sentence End? And it's actually, you can look it up on YouTube. It's free. And we were actually asked to be a part of that. The young man that I'm telling you about was asked to be a part of that. And we touched on those subjects. And yes, I mean, there very much is a big stigma and understandably so, you know, some people don't change their stripes. You know, some people recidivism rate is over 75 percent. And a lot of that is because of of the roadblocks that these people hit in society. Yeah. You know, you come out as a felon, you can't rent an apartment. You can't get a job. You can go to you can go to school in prison to become a beautician and learn how to cut hair. But when you come out into society, you can't get a beautician's license. That doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> so so sooner or later, if you can't get a job somewhere, you know, you're probably going to start leaning in the wrong direction. Yep. And uh, so we got to yeah, look because you that. still have to eat. You got to eat and you got to do the things that everybody else has to do. Yep. But I will say that that a lot of it is really in the individual's hands and 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 you know you got to be willing to see it through the young man that I was telling you about his name is actually Nicholas Sherlock Holmes he's he's a great individual one of the best people I've ever met in my life I still he actually texted me this week we still talk he he ended up moving to South Georgia to help his wife's family but he's a phenomenal individual I mean one of the most positive bright people I've ever met in my life when I first met him you know despite going through what he went through in life this kid had a beaming smile. I mean, he, I say kid, he, he was a young man, but he just radiated light. And it was that positivity, that mindset of I'm in control of my destiny. I led myself here and now I can lead myself out. It's a hundred percent up to me. So number one, those individuals that have come out of those situations, they need to bring that mentality to the table. You give me an opportunity and I will not let you down. And you know what? The first person may say no. The next person may say no. Every time you get a no, you need to know that's your one step closer to getting that yes. It's not going to be easy. You put yourself in a situation where you created these challenges for yourself. And now you got to have the endurance and the stamina to change that. And then as employers, we got to be open to when we see that individual, despite their past, not look so much at what they've done, but what they're doing, who they are and what they have the potential to be. And that's the way I looked at Nick. When I looked at him, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I don't really care where you've been. What I care about is where you're going. So you tell me, where do you want to go? 
And and he told me and, and I believed it. I could tell he was genuine in, in what he was saying and he really just needed an opportunity. And we gave him that opportunity. It changed his life. He improved our company. We're a better company because of him. And I think society overall is better because of the entire, you know, endeavor. Definitely. And gives other people incentive to see, to understand what's possible. You know, that's a game changer because we remember stories and those stories are definitely motivational. Final question. Please share a lesson you've learned from a mentor or parent or somebody so, so, so parent or mentor that is important to you today, a lesson that you learned? Oh, that's a good one. So I listen to, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in you are what you feed yourself with. You know, if I go eat Big Macs every day of the week, I'm going to look a certain way. <laughs> and if I listen to horrible music or listen to a bunch of negative people or listen to, you know, just waste my time with allowing things to come into my mind that are not going to help me, eventually you're going to see that. You know, and the opposite is true as well. So I'm a firm believer in, in listening to self-help, motivational speakers, positive books, you know, self-help books as well. But I'm a I'm a big fan of Les Brown. I'm a big fan of Eric Thomas, uh, Inky Johnson from right here in Atlanta, Georgia. And there's a couple things. One, it's you versus you. At the end of the day, it's you versus you. We live in the greatest country of all time. You know, America is not a perfect country. Just like people, there's not a perfect person out there. We've all made our mistakes. And this country has definitely made its fair share of mistakes. But I can tell you as an immigrant to this country that there's no place like the United States of America. I've had the opportunity to travel around the world, you know, across seas, South America, Latin America. And I always cannot wait to get home. Despite how much of a good time I may have on a trip, I can't wait to get back home. This is our country is the most beautiful thing there is. And it's solely because it really is the land of the free. You can come here and you can do whatever you put your mind to do. I've seen people come here with $3 in their pockets and become extremely successful. I've seen here, people come here and come from absolutely nothing and turn themselves into something. Inky Johnson is a perfect example. Grew up in Kirkwood, you know, poor, lived in a home, slept in one bed with his family, six to the feet, six to the head. Uh, now he takes care of his family. He's a, a world-renowned speaker, despite a devastating injury. You know, yeah, the and, arm injury, a football player. That's right, college football. Yep. Yep. And uh, just, and you can't do that anywhere. You know, I know a good friend of mine that has family in Mexico. And make a long story short, they, you know, cartels came in and pretty much took their entire land. And I was talking to someone about that the other day, and they said, "Well, you know, that happened here too." And I said, "The difference is that happened here." over 50, 60 years ago. And there's a reason the front windshield in your car is a lot bigger than the rear view mirror. Sometimes we got to quit looking at the rear view mirror and we got to look through that front windshield because our ancestors and the people that came before us, people like Dr. Martin Luther King, they wouldn't be telling us, hey, keep bringing up the old past, keep bringing up the, they'd be telling us, drive this thing forward. Keep bringing our, keep bringing our people up. Motive, go back. You're successful as a minority. Go back into these minority neighborhoods. Bring these people up. You made it out. Turn around and bring them with you. And I think that's a big thing we need to do. Again, it's us versus us. It's not us versus anybody. We can't blame anybody. We live in a country where it's totally up to us to do what we do, whether you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth or born dirt broke. You know, I got a good friend of mine that passed away and he was born with that silver spoon in his mouth. And he took a lot of those things for granted and it ended up costing him his life. So everyone has their challenges, but the biggest challenge is you. Yeah, uh, that's, that's facts. No, that's great. Good feedback. 
that's moving. I couldn't agree with you anymore. I actually born and raised in Canada and I moved to the United States in the late 90s. So I have seen the opportunities that this country affords you and I've traveled. So I agree with you 100%. There, there is no place on this planet that provides those type of opportunities. And, you know, you can change your life like that. You know, it's, it's really there for you. There's no, there's no limit. There's no limit as long as, you know, and we've got tons of examples of it. So I couldn't agree with you anymore on that. Ed, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. It has been a pleasure. Please stay in touch. And uh, I wish you much success. And let's definitely collaborate again. Absolutely. Sounds great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for everything you're doing for our young people, for our community, and for our industry as a whole, Keith. We really appreciate it. And we're here to support you any way we can. Definitely, my pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.